Hi, I'm Terry O'Reilly, founder of OBP Australia, a service for overseas-born professionals looking to either get their first job in Australia or advance their career once they're established in their profession. Welcome to the podcast. Each episode, I'll be talking to an ex-OBP Australia client who's been successful in finding employment in Australia. We'll get to hear about their journey and what advice they have for job seekers. Rakesh is a ServiceNow certified CSA application slash implementation engineer with more than 10 years experience in India and Australia in the healthcare and telco domains. He's witnessed the evolution of a variety of delivery methods, technologies and tools for improving the overall quality of service to the end subscriber. His forte is end-to-end service delivery and program management for large-scale projects in outsourced service delivery environments. I first met Rakesh in April 2020, after he'd been in Australia a couple of months. The first thing that struck me was his excellent communication skills, something that no doubt helped him secure work in his profession. Rakesh, welcome. Nice to be here, Terry. How are you? I'm really well. Um, now, you're currently working as a ServiceNow technical support engineer. Tell us a little bit about your job. Uh, for sure. So I started working here about um, nine months ago at this point, nine or 10 months at this point. And um, I've been working as a technical support engineer at ServiceNow. Um, my previous job sort of gave me a bit of a a bit of an overview into ServiceNow, which kind of helped me secure this, this role. And um, it's along the same lines of my overseas experience, which is as an application support slash services um, uh, professional. So um, it's along the same lines, but um, just with um, ServiceNow, which is a great thing. Right. So you said... Before this job, you had some exposure to ServiceNow. Is that right? Uh, yes, because um, there was uh, there was a stint. Uh, there was a there was a brief stint with a company that I did, like a consultant company, um, consulting firm, for about two or three months, um, and that's where I got started. That's where I got certified with ServiceNow. Although I didn't continue to work there, it was uh, it was beneficial in sort of lending this role. Right. So do you think you would have got the job without that experience? I think so at this point, yes. You would. That, that's interesting that. because I'm always asked, you know, how important is certification? How important is it to have prior experience with a particular platform or application? What what was it you think that, that got you this job? I think it was um, a combination of my previous experience and just the fact that the hiring manager or the panel basically knew that I I had experience in a similar role before, just based on the way I answered certain questions. So going back to your uh, your question though about certifications, I am inclined to think that it's not as important as um, being able to demonstrate. Uh, what the role requires of you. Right. At interview or during the application demonstrating? I would say both because, uh, (laughs) so, um, you know, we've, um, to be fair, I I think everyone at some point has has faced um, automated rejection emails 
right. um, because it's you know it's got a lot to do with the applicant tracking system and stuff like that. If your if your application needs to make um, make its way past that stage, um, your resume needs to sort of outline that you're able to demonstrate those duties anyway. So I think that's the first um, first sort of um, hurdle. And the second one would be obviously to demonstrate to the panel because, yeah, that, right. I think that's very important. Yeah. So you've worked in health and telco domains. How important do you think the industry domain experience is or not at all for your profession? Um, in my profession, I would say it's it's really dependent on on the actual role itself. So um, in some roles, they would require domain-specific expertise over some others. So it, re it really is um, very difficult to answer that question because some roles will, will require that you have specific expertise over um, over um, healthcare specific stuff or telecom or you know stuff like that. Whereas my role was more along um, troubleshooting, you know, um, issues, kind of regardless of the technology. So there's a specific kind of uh, expertise you you might be able to to gain, uh, which doesn't bind you to a specific industry. Right. So just go back to your healthcare experience for a moment. If an employer says um, healthcare sector experience preferred mm -hmm. and you don't have that, how would you suggest to somebody that they could persuade an employer to give them a chance without having that domain experience? Because I get a lot of clients who are facing these situations who don't have the domain experience. They feel like they could do the job, but and it's very hard for them to know what it is about the domain that that's a requirement. Why is it that you need that specific industry domain? What could somebody do, do you think, to, to improve their case? Um, I can speak for certain roles, say, for instance, if, if they're support or services related, if they're, um, you know, uh, implementation related, maybe what you can start doing is... Um, gain some information on, on specific healthcare terminologies that are part of the job description. So right. a lot of the time, um, a job description will actually outline what it is that they require you to do. Um, they would prefer industry-specific experience because um, that might possibly shorten your um, onboarding process. If you're familiar with... Um, if you're familiar with certain terminology and stuff like that, it's, you know, they don't have to train you additionally on that. So that might be one of the reasons um, someone would prefer that. But having said that, it's it's really up to how strong you fit the profile overall over just industry-specific uh, requirements. So I would say if you're confident that um, the job description is a good fit for you, I would definitely read up on domain-specific um, expertise if you can and basically be right up front. If you get the call, be up front with them. Just say you have limited expertise and, you know, uh, it's nine out of ten times if you fit the role, they will still interview you anyway. 
And I'm a firm believer if they interview you, it's it's really it's really up to you. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, I mean that's a good advice to to be upfront. I, I always find employers appreciate somebody being completely honest with them, and and you can't bluff another professional peer anyway. So there's no Very, point trying. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. And um, yeah, it, it's just one of those things. I think we would expect the same of employers as well. So it's it's a two way street really. So I think they appreciate it. Right. Now, you mentioned before that you were lucky enough to have some ServiceNow experience from your previous role. Mm -hmm. What if somebody was applying for, let's say, a Salesforce administrator role, they have certification but no experience, what would you suggest to somebody in that position? Um, So it would basically um, be of great benefit if they have any kind of CRM-specific experience. So it doesn't it may not now, you know, obviously, um, assuming that the job requirement is specifically for a Salesforce administrator or developer or something like that, if they have any sort of experience in, for instance, maybe ServiceNow or, you know, Microsoft Dynamics products or anything like that, that's similar to Salesforce, I would still, um, if you're certified, I would still um, ask them to consider applying to it because um, it's just a different application, but the basic concepts for the most part will remain um, um, similar, if not the same. So it's just one of those things. If you have something that's very similar in your profile, um, if you have some CRM related or SAS related experience, I would still, I would still encourage you to apply. Right. Now, you mentioned before that your role is largely troubleshooting. Is that right? Uh, yes. It's a combination of troubleshooting and liaising with um, with some internal teams. So if it's um, basically if it's if it's something that you can resolve, you can do so by yourself. If not, you might have to liaise with development and, you know, um, raise problems and stuff like that. So it's it's a bit of... Um, it's a bit of um, communicating with clients um, and, um, you know, th- that sort of human touch. But at the same time, there's a lot of internal processes and such that, that you have to follow. And you're responding to incident reports. Is that right? Or Yes, that's your, right. Your work comes through a constant feed. Is that correct? That is correct. So um, what happens is, you know, you have you either have dashboards and we have notifications set up. So whenever there's a new incident assigned to you, you, you know, you get notified and you have SLAs for different levels of incidents that are raised. So that's um, a different way of tackling each incident. So it's, yeah. And and is every day the same as that, or is there any um, project work? Is there any planning involved in your work or is it all pretty much the same um, delivery? I would pretty much say 80% of the time it's very similar unless there's, you know, like you said, if, if there's a project or two that you're involved in, um, you might have to fit that into your um, daily work schedule. But for the most part, the way incidents are assigned, the way um, work is assigned to you is very similar. Right. And what about professional development? We know within the IT sector, things change so quickly. 
Mm-hmm. Um, is that formal or is it incidental? Are you learning from your colleagues? Uh, do you have formal training? What's happening on the professional development front? Um, it would be a mixture of the two. So I always try to, um, when I know someone's good at a specific area of the application or something like that, I try to pick their brain to understand um, more about said specific area. And we also have, you know, we also have um, trainings, courses, certifications. Um, there's actually webinars and such that that, that we can attend. Um, it's actually a mixture of everything. So, right. um, yeah, yeah there's, there's plenty of potential to, um, to choose a specific direction and head that way if you need to. Great. Now, we first met back in April 2020, I believe, and you arrived in February 2020. Is that right? <laughs> that's it. That's correct. Yeah. So that's at the very start of COVID pretty much. Um, tell us about those early days just after you arrived. Um, so it was, um, it was a little overwhelming initially because, uh, this was the first time I'd ever left India. And I mean, you know, I I lived with my family, so it's a very cultural thing where in India, you, you know, for the most part, you just live with your family and, you know, you get married, you have kids, you just basically, that's just a cultural thing. Um, but, you know, I, I had to leave sort of that comfort zone because, well, um, based by the nature of the word, comfort zone was was not very comfortable after a point because, you know, I just wanted a new challenge. And obviously, when I had the opportunity, I applied for, um, for residence and I got it. And I didn't really, I'm not a person who generally, you know, plans everything meticulously. Um, I usually trust my gut when it comes to stuff like this. So the first couple of months, I was really questioning my <laughs> my yeah. gut because, you know, two weeks, I think, um, after I arrived here, um, everything just, everything shut down. And the first two weeks were actually fun because, I don't know, for some reason, I had the perspective of a traveler because it was like, oh, these are all new places, you know, this beach, that museum, this other zoo or whatever. It, it was just a lot of fun to see all these places. And two weeks later, everything gets um, shut down. So it was a very, um, very intense time because, you know, none of us had ever experienced anything like this before. And now I'm far away from home in a new country trying to build when, you know, there was, there were actually a few um, layoffs and such, you know, happening at the time, which was, which was kind of intimidating. Hmm. So that, that's that's a huge step. I mean, you're leaving your family, home environment. You're in a new country. You've got COVID, which has put a, everybody into lockdown. Um, did you have anybody here? Did you have any friends oh. or family? No, I actually oh. didn't know anyone in Australia. Um, I, I do have a couple of friends, but, you know, safe to say they're really far away. So one mm. of one of my friends is in Perth. So obviously, you know, it's a five-hour flight away. So yeah, and what, it, what city are you in, just for our listeners? Uh, Sydney. So you're in Sydney. All right, big yeah. city. Um, so tell us about your efforts to find your first job, given the situation, and also what you did to try and find that first job. So my uh, view of it was... Um, well, there's there's got to be work in some um, 
in some form or another. My, um, my initial instinct was not to find a job in, you know, not just sitting around and waiting to find a job in IT or whatever. It was just, you know, let's, let's just keep yourself, you know, occupied um, until you're able to find the time to, you know, apply to certain jobs and stuff like that. And obviously, like almost every immigrant does. It was just one of those things where I would deliver food on Uber Eats um, during the day, sometimes at night. Well, you know, a couple of hours during the night and the remainder of the time, maybe three, four hours during the day I would use for job search. But it was rather blind and directionless. Um, <laughs> I would just, I would just look at, I don't know, I would just look at any websites like um, Seek or LinkedIn or wherever there was an opening. I would just post my resume there, right. and um, consequently, it, it it led me nowhere at that point. Um, and there was one such job application um, that I made on. Um, on LinkedIn, which I sort of highlighted my, it was a customer service role, which I worked in for a little over a year, I'd say. Uh, it was a, it was a good company. It was, um, you know, my, the boss that I worked for was great. So it was, it was a good environment, um, which is why I ended up staying for more than a year, which is, you know, even though it wasn't my ideal role, it was, it was just a great work environment. Um, I and customer finding- service roles are, are really good for that you know that that conversation in a new country where you're you're learning slang, um, you're you're meeting lots of people and you're solving problems. Absolutely. Um, sometimes people find survival jobs and there's not much talking involved, which is problematic. Um, so if you can get a customer service job, that's great. Sorry, you were going to say? No, I was just. Um, I, I think that was that was part of what I was going to say anyway, because it gives you that. Um, that little push that you need, just the fact that you're, you know, you're going to be able to speak to these people. You're just going to be um, on the lookout for certain intricacies, maybe just like you mentioned, slang, um, something that's uniquely cultural, Hmm. um, you know, and trying to learn from it basically. So it was very helpful for me. Did you have a time frame? I mean, did you say, okay, I'm going to do this survival job for, Six months, three months, whatever, or were you just uh, playing it by ear? Um, I was so I started delivering for Uber Eats, which was the survival, the first survival job, which was, I think, about three weeks after coming here, because that's how much time it takes for them to verify your stuff. Like once you apply for it, I started doing it right away because it was just one of those things where um, I don't like sitting idle. Um, I'd rather make use of that time maybe to, to to get to know the neighborhood and stuff like that, which is which actually helped me a great deal because a lot of the area around which I live, I currently know. So most right. of Western Sydney I'm I'm very well versed with, uh, which is which is a big area. Well, Sydney's a big city, but most of the western suburbs I'm still good with. And that gave me the confidence that I that I needed initially because, you know, like I said, so it was a city that's really far removed from anything uh, culturally or visually that I was used to. Right. And you said initially you just posted your resume on Seek. How did that uh, um, job-seeking approach change over time? What did you do to actually get interviews? 
So it was, I think two or three months um, into my first job where I realized that, you know, I should actually start looking for work in IT, not because there was anything wrong with the job, just the fact that, you know, um, I would be able to contribute uh, much better to something that's closer to what I did back home. So I, I started applying for jobs initially, just like I said, you know, just, just click the apply button, upload my resume, just write a generic cover letter. And obviously it was leading me nowhere. So I needed a change in approach. I tried to um, go to a few networking events, at least the ones that were um, that was still functional because most of it was through Zoom because of, you know, lockdowns and such. Not quite uh, the same, is it, networking via Zoom? No, it's not. I mean, as much as as much as much it's helpful than to not do anything at all, mm. um, it's still th that human touch is essential. Like when you look someone in the eye, you have a conversation with them, it's there's a, what do you call it? There's a, there's a specific... Um, for the lack of, you know, a better word, energy exchange that happens when, when, when you talk to someone, that's definitely missing in the sort of virtual space. But anyway, um, I tried to attend these events. I tried to attend the online ones, and um, I think one of the events was, um, I think it was one of Vinesh's events yep. where I came across you. Yep. Um, and you know, I, I found it to be intriguing enough to to have a chat with you and that's when we spoke the first time it was just um it was just before i found my um, my first job i think after we spoke i got an offer maybe a couple of weeks later or something like that it was it was very close to that so which is why it escaped me for a few months mm. and then later on i remembered oh i I'd spoken to this gentleman before. Um, let me see if I still have his number. So I I pulled out your number. I gave you a call, and um, you know the, the first conversation we had, you'd made it pretty clear that this is you know it, it was a systematic sort of approach. And I had attended um, um, one of those virtual events where I think you presented for a right. few minutes, mm -hmm. uh, maybe for ten or fifteen minutes. I don't remember exactly what you. Um, what you presented, but you gave a sort of brief overview of how um, your approach is to, to the industry. And I thought that was rather, it was simple, but not easy. Right. At least I couldn't figure it out on my own, hmm. which is why, you know, which is why um, I had to, I had to eventually end up seeking your services. But it was just one of those things where it, it I felt like it should have been common sense, but it wasn't. Um, there's a specific kind of um, um, approach to job seeking that that's that's required over here. I don't have a benchmark. I don't know if it works in other um, countries the same way, uh, but it's it's a very specific market and and something that needs to be kept in mind before you apply for jobs. Yeah, I think that simple but not easy is a really good way of uh, explaining the whole predicament of trying to find work in Australia as a, a recently arrived um, immigrant. So um, can you nail anything down of all the things that we did together and the approaches and so on? Is there anything that you think 
was critical in in your applications or your approach to finding work? Because everybody's different. So one of the purposes of me talking to different people is that people get to hear what worked for somebody and what worked for somebody else, perhaps. So in your situation, can you pull out one or two things that you think were really useful? Sure. So I think one of the things that you um, you highlighted, and I think that was more beneficial. That's when I sort of got it. Um, it was, well, the key word was demonstrate. Um, it was just based on every job application. Uh, when I spoke to you for the first time, you were like, you know, okay, um, you feel like you can apply for this job. Sure. But let's have a look at your resume and, you know, why, why is it different? And I'm like, well, it's, it's not. It's not different. It's the same thing. Well, okay, you know that it's the same thing. But the job requirements state something specific. And we have to have the ability to demonstrate to someone who is a not possibly, in, in most cases, is not a technical person to understand that you are the right fit for this job. So we need to make points and we need to give examples of just to demonstrate how you fit into this position. And that to me was sort of like my Eureka moment where, right. okay, so now it makes sense. Um, and yeah, that, that was one specific thing that I thought was an eye opener. It sort right. of changed the way I thought about it. And were most of your jobs applications through LinkedIn directly with a company or via um, Seek or Indeed or other job sites? Um, it was a mixture of, of, of a few different things. So a couple of jobs I applied directly to the company using, you know, a, a couple of um, a couple of sort of methods that that we went over. Um, and I think two or three of those, not a lot, two or three of those were sort of like generic applications on um, on SIG. Uh, but the LinkedIn ones, you know, I, I made sure to sort of clean up my profile on LinkedIn to, to reflect everything that was current and sort of, you know, um, <laughs> um, anything that was inconsistent or anything that was sort of in fancy font or <laughs> anything that right. was unnecessary, I, I sort of took out. So, and yeah. yeah. And how did you get around the issue of not having any local experience or was that not an issue for you? You know, that's a good question because I do not know if it was or not in the sense that I, the first job that I worked for was a customer service role and they considered the fact that, you know, I was suitable for the job and I, they, you know, didn't mind that I didn't have local experience. So if you ask for my opinion, I don't know if it's such a big requirement, but there might be people who've had an entirely different experience than me. So I, I don't think it was a big problem for me. That being said, I do get um, <laughs> at least one uh, job offer or like some recruiter trying to contact me um, on LinkedIn at least at least once a week now. So right. maybe, you know, maybe <laughs> ignorance is bliss, I guess. So maybe I had no idea. Yeah. But, Look, yeah. it certainly helps having local experience, but it's, uh, again, it's not a barrier 
certainly not for everybody. People get work as you have done uh, without mm-hmm. local experience and thousands of people do. So yeah, it's useful to hear what your experience of that was. What about the, the job interview? What was your um, first experience of a job interview and was that similar to what you expected or different? It was quite similar to, to what I was used to in India, except for there's, um, it was a lot more, I don't know if this is the right word, but it was a lot more casual. I was expecting it to be a lot more serious than what it was. Maybe it has something to do with the personality of the person who's trying to interview as well, but it was very relaxed. I mean, I do not remember feeling nervous at all. Because, you know, I it, probably because I'm a person who likes to talk a lot, but it's also because of the fact that it was a very, for something that was as serious as a job interview, it was very relaxing. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't three people looking at you while you're trying to answer a question. It was, it was very laid back, which I thought was, you know, it was it was definitely much better than I expected it to be. Right. So that that's fairly common feedback. Do do you think that um, casual nature extends across all things in the culture, or was it just in the interview? I mean, does that your work environment now is it more casual than what you had been used to in India? Uh, yes, I would say so. Because overall, I think there's a there's a bit of a um, there's a bit of a casual sort of um, environment and casual when it comes to interactions, not when it comes to work, because when no. it comes to work, it's it's serious. That's probably the same everywhere around the world. But when it comes to, you know, daily interactions and such, people are just much nicer. So I, I feel like not that, you know, people weren't nice back home. It's just a different kind different, of yeah. um, environment, I would say. Yeah. Uh, any other significant cultural differences you'd like to point out? I'm just thinking there may be people listening who are not in the country, mm-hmm. and this sort of information is really helpful. Um, sometimes people have never been here, as you had never been here yourself. Mm-hmm. So just knowing how people interact can be a useful insight. Absolutely. Um, I would say the sense of humour. I mean, people have a good sense of humor here. It was just, it, it wasn't shocking to me because I had done some research on Australia and it wasn't, you know, I wasn't shocked to see that most people have a good sense of humor, but it was very important too. Because, um, you know, if, if you're if you're planning to move to Australia and you've never been here before, try to read up as much as possible. You know, maybe try to, I mean, you don't have to read up on slang and stuff like that. I mean, you don't have to say it, but it would help to know what something means. So, you know, try to read up as much as possible. Try to read about the, you know, the history of the country and such. It's, yep. you know, there's a lot of history to this country, which is very um, intriguing. So there's a lot to learn. So you said you did a little bit of research before you, you came. Yep. How did that prior knowledge compare with the reality when you arrived? Um, it wasn't, I mean, that's an excellent question. I don't know if I'm able to, um, I'm able to elaborate on that, but I'll try my best. So 
what I noticed was um, was people over here um, generally live life in terms of you know you have a certain you have a certain time window when you're working right maybe it's seven to four maybe it's eight to five whatever your time window is after that they switch off from work which is I think a very um, refreshing attitude, which is something that at least in the places I worked for, it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't the norm. Let me put it that way. Not all the companies, just a couple of companies that I worked for, it wasn't the norm. So people have those nine hours or eight hours to, to dedicate to work. And after that, they just, you know, they're just away from work, which is a very healthy attitude, I think. Um, and that's, I mean, I'd read that it was Australia and New Zealand are two countries in the world that have a good work-life balance. And I was sort of skeptical about that. But when I came here, I realized that it is true. It's just, you know, people have a much healthier attitude towards work. Right. And thinking about people who are about to come to Australia, mm -hmm. is there anything people could do before they emigrate to be better prepared for when they arrive either for job seeking or for for life in general in australia i would say uh your mindset needs to be very different from what you're used to in your home country because uh wherever you are i mean obviously you you know we all sometimes come from different environments so it might not be um, similar to what I had. Um, I was very comfortable. Um, nine out of 10 of you probably are <laughs> very comfortable in your current country. Um, but what I would say is have a good mindset in the sense that this is a new country. Um, no one knows you. So you will have to start from scratch. So if no one knows you, it's about working up to um, a certain level where, um, you know, you're, you're back to a certain level of whatever it was corporate-wise that you were at. And that might take time. Give yourself maybe a year or maybe even a couple of years. If you're coming with family, maybe give yourself a couple of years until sort of the, to the dust settles, so to speak. Because, you know, like I said, it's a new environment. No one knows you. You have no history in this country. So treat it as a blank slate as opposed to I was, you know, so-and-so designation in my, my country. So, you know, I need to get a role that aligns exactly to that. Um, I think it's, you know, people may set themselves up to disappointment if you immediately expect the job market to just open up and, <laughs> you know, just, just right. yeah, offer you those um, those jobs. But, yeah, I think it's more of a mindset thing. So right. Answer. I think that the no one knows you is a really interesting way to put it because I often see people who come, even within the resume itself, there's an assumption that people know how much responsibility was attached to a role. Mm -hmm. You know, they expect people to have to assume yeah, and I think particularly, that's, a, that's a common, yeah. Yeah, maybe. particularly if, if you have a lot of experience, sometimes the more experience you have, the harder it is because I get this feeling that people feel like they're not recognised and mm -hmm. that's understandable. 
that you may have had a you know quite a a glorious career overseas, but you get here and it's like nobody knows what you've done, and that's really hard to convey in a written document. Absolutely, and sometimes hard to convey in an interview as well, and that can be frustrating for people because all that hard work that they have done previously mm-hmm. seems to go unrecognized in the new country. True, and I think you know if if you like you said, if you expect everyone to know what it is exactly what it is you've done, um, it might open your um, you know, you might open yourself up to disappointment in that way because mm. it's a slow process. You know, you, you have to be patient. I think patience is key um, and not being, you know, disheartened by, you know, if, if you have the odd rejection and stuff like that, that happens. And that's going to happen everywhere in the world. If you leave your comfort zone and go somewhere else, you're going to have rejections. That's just part of life. And, you know, it's not the end of the world. In fact, that's that's one step closer to you doing something right. What, what did you do to help with that, um, you know, feeling of frustration and um, being disheartened from rejection? Was there anything that you did that that helped you get by and keep you positive, I guess? Well, the first couple of months were um, were difficult because... And until I found the customer service job, which was, I think, the second month, actually a little over two months. But um, until then, what I what I would do is just basically try to keep myself busy. And, you know, if if it was becoming too much, like, you know, if it, it was becoming physically stressful or, or whatever else, I would just take a day off and just relax, try to unwind and do my best to keep my spirits up because, um, like I said before, you know, I didn't have family here. I didn't have, you know, any friends here. And it was, it was really difficult. Try to stay in touch with my friends and family and stuff back home. Um, but it, it's just one of those things. I, I think I had this mindset for a very long time. Um, you know, whenever, whenever I had the odd rejection and stuff like that, you know, we, we all have those days where, you know, we feel like, well, is this even worth it? Right. And that's a, that's a perfectly normal feeling to have, mm-hmm. but try your best to sort of push yourself through it because at the other end of that, sometimes, you know, you, you have that break that you were least expecting. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. congratulations on uh, finding work in your profession, making that transition and uh, yeah, it's it's really commendable what you've done. It's not easy, uh, no matter how quickly people find work, and the longer it takes, the harder it gets, of course. So it's well done, and and thanks for joining us today, Rakesh. Thank you so much, Terry. Uh, thanks for giving me this opportunity, and uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's just one of those things. Um, you know, I think patience is key. Everyone, I think, I think you know, over here. If you put in the effort, you know, whether it's whether it's today or tomorrow, maybe it's six months later, you will get, you know, your reward. So, you know, it's just it's just a matter of patience, I would, you know, I would right. say. Yeah. I really appreciate your time and willingness to share your experiences. And I'm sure your insights are useful for current job seekers. So all the best and keep in touch. Thank you, Terry. OBP Australia provides guidance and support with job applications and approaching employers, industry awareness, interview coaching, and language and communication. 
you'll also be introduced to your professional peers already working in Australia, so you can get the lowdown on what's happening in your industry or profession. If you're looking for guidance and support to find your next job, email me at terry at obpaustralia.com.au. Let's talk.